Welcome to My Writing Table, a podcast where you'll hear from your favorite authors, creatives, and publishing professionals. We'll talk about books, the writing craft, and the often wonky journey to publication. Today's guest is Molly Harper. Molly Harper is the author of more than 30 paranormal and contemporary romance titles, including the Half Moon Hollow series, the Southern Eclectic series, and the Audible exclusive Mystic Bayou series. Molly lives in Michigan with her family. Welcome, Molly. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so excited to get to talk to you. Your books are so funny and just such an unusual blend that makes you feel good and it it makes you laugh. And I just, I can't wait to talk to you about these. Um, Your website reads snarky romance with bite. What does that mean to you? Well, in a literal sense, because I write about vampires, it means actual physical biting, (laughs) but (laughs) Also, I think my books have a little bit of an edge to them. I grew up around very smart, very sharp people who really seemed sweet to your face. And then about five minutes later, after they walked out of the room, you realized they had insulted you. (laughs) You're like, hey, rude. Um, And I think that there's an an undercurrent of that in my books. Well, they're they're fun reads. Um, You've created book collections that vary from down-home Kentucky branded romance to these vampire kind of zombie-esque adventures. And you've offered multiple lanes for your readers. Did anyone ever tell you to stick with one theme? That is such an interesting question because literally no one has asked me that before. Really? Um, no, I, your, I, your uh, catalog is it's wide. Yes, it is. Um, I think my stories are consistent because my voice is the same no matter what I'm writing. So I think the reader goes in knowing sort of what to expect. And I think that that's kind of kept them from thinking in those terms because no one has ever said like, hey, pick a lane to me. Um, I think I would be kind of sad if they did, to be honest with you. Well, you've, you've obviously been doing something right. If you've, How many books have you published? Um, it's in the mid thirties, I know wow. that much. I always, I'm afraid to always name a number because then someone will say, no, I counted. And it's, it's this. So. <laughs> Forgot that one. Yes, like, I did. How does one conduct research for vampire romances? A lifetime of being that weird kid who checked out all the folklore books in the school library. Um, I read all of those nonfiction books about ghosts and vampires and the Loch Ness Monster from like a very young age. Um, I checked them out frequently to the point where it kind of concerned the librarian. Um, But, and, you know, that's continued into adulthood. I have, you know, pretty strong foundational knowledge of supernatural stuff. And then I have a research library that I've kind of built up over the years that is a pretty varied and interesting collection of books. Um, But there's some stuff I honestly just make up. Um, I think that that's the fun thing about writing paranormal romance right now is that you can kind of take those elements and make them your own. And not a lot of people will argue with you about it. Do you believe in vampires? I believe there are people that believe they're vampires, <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I believe in ghosts. I, be, I, you know, I can't be arrogant enough to believe that this is the only plane of existence that, you know, we're the only life in the universe, anything like that. But I mean, I, I can't, I can't say one way or the other about vampires for sure. I guess. They, they do exist in your books. Yes, they do. What's the Kentucky connection? I don't know if you can tell from the accent, but I lived there for about 30 years, um, most of my adult life, um, until recently moving to Michigan. And uh, I had never seen a vampire series set in Kentucky. And so when I wrote the first books, I really thought that that was something that would be fun. So that's, you know, and really because I've spent so much time there, it was pretty easy setting books there. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. So have you set any books in Michigan yet? 
No, uh, actually just one novella, but I'm working on something that would be set in Michigan. All right. Get ready, Michiganders. Yes. <laughs> you had um, this coming. <laughs> you know, I was a bit late to the game when someone recommended and one last thing, and I am not so sure. I, I don't think I've laughed so hard in years. Does writing your particular brand of humor come naturally or does it come, does it come naturally? Yes, very much so. Remember those funny, sharp people I mentioned earlier? Uh, They were my family. I grew up just like having to hold my own at the dinner table. And if I could convince my dad he was wrong about something and make him laugh, that meant I won. So um, I really just, I'm paying for it now, I think, because I'm raising people who are smarter and funnier than me. Um, So my mom's prediction of you're going to have a kid just like you, like totally came true. Um, and the, char- the way my characters interact is very real to me because that's how I, I talk to my husband and my kids. And actually, I'll draw directly from conversations with them sometimes when I'm writing dialogue. And sometimes I'll be listening to an audiobook of mine because it helps me find mistakes in my writing and, and kind of weaknesses. And my daughter will hear something and she'll turn to me and she'll say, I remember having that conversation. That's not cool. <laughs> you didn't ask me if you could put it in the book or not. Um, but as far as like, I'm assuming you're asking why I didn't become a stand-up comedian. Maybe? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because, I mean, I could totally see that. Terrible fear of public speaking. Um, it, You know how they say that like the top two fears or phobias are death and public speaking. It is totally believable to me. I, I really have a lot of anxiety about that. And my mom, Um, who is also a lifelong romance reader, comes to conferences with me, which remember when we used to go to conferences? Um, She'll come with me as my my assistant and she will stand in the back of a room and do this hand gesture to remind me to slow down. So... (laughs) Because I'm talking too fast. So yeah, I, I can't, I can't do public speaking. We should talk. I, you know, I used to be a college speech instructor. So. <laughs> you would, I, I would get such bad grades in your class. It's it, all just having the conversation. That's it's all just, you, you know, Molly has good solid ideas, but it's all one sentence. It's all one breath. And I'm done. Bye. And I'm done. <laughs> like literally racing off of the stage. <laughs> Mom, but the good thing is mom's at the back going. Mom's in the back. Yeah. That is, um, that is her job. <laughs> Take care of Molly. I'm an audiobook junkie and I burned through like, I don't know, I, before COVID, I burned through two or three a week. Right now I'm <laughs> down to about one a week. And there are authors who mix and match narrators depending on the subject matter or the lead characters. But you've stuck with Amanda Ronconi, as far as I can tell, for all of yours all the ones I've listened to the vast majority. Yes. Um, it seems like you have a friendship there. And I noticed that you also have a video, um, like a YouTube channel or some, we did some Q and A's on my website. Yeah. Yeah. So so how did this friendship? It was so funny. Like Amanda being hired as my narrator is just one of those gifts that the universe handed to me gift wrapped. Um, I love, I've always loved audiobooks. Um, I, there was a lot of driving involved in my first, first job. And so I, I would have the CDs and I would put them in the CD player and drive around listening to them. Um, and I was always interested in having audio versions of my books. And so when Audible sent me a sample of Amanda reading a chapter of Nice Rolls, then they asked, like, what do you think? And it was the only clip that they sent me. And I was like, well, this sounds amazing. And go ahead and hire her. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, she was the only sample I heard. Yeah, yeah, and so, and she sounded great. She has such an amazing gift for comedic timing and accents. And it's like, she's the voice in my head in a lot of ways, um, just without even trying. 
Um, we actually didn't speak the first couple of years that she uh, read my books because I didn't think I had the right to bother her. <laughs> like it was, which sounds so silly to me now, but you know, I figured she's a busy actress. She doesn't want me calling her. So um, it took me a couple of years to work up the nerve to send her an email. And after that, you know, now I contact her fairly regularly to check in. Um, we we email and call. And uh, she's just absolutely lovely and a consummate professional. And um, I'm really, really lucky that uh, she was brought into my life. It's the perfect pairing of the really is in the words because you both are just so talented. Um, Tell me what you're reading now. I have been on a thriller kick, which is really unusual for me. Um, I just finished The Lion's Den by Catherine St. John. It's um, it's a set on a yacht, like a mega yacht in the Mediterranean. And um, it's kind of an episode of Below Deck if everyone secretly hated each other. Uh, but I just, I loved it. And I immediately like called all my friends and my mom to recommend that they read it because I wanted someone to talk to about it. Um, but I also just finished The Guest List by Lucy Foley. And she does really interesting things with POV and multiple, because uh, it's told from multiple perspectives. And she writes she, The Nest. Uh, she, was, what did she the, write? the guest list and, um, oh, shoot. It's okay. It's all right. I'll, I'll look it it's up. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, no, I, I have it though. It's The Guest List and The Hunting Party. The hunting party. That was it. Yeah. Okay. And they're both like written from multiple perspectives. And by the time you're like a couple of chapters in, you're like, okay, who didn't have a reason to kill this victim because they deserved it. Like she's really good at setting up motivation. So it's very impressive. Like you want to say, why don't you people all just have a party? Because <laughs> we're done with them. <laughs> yeah. And um, what are you writing now? Uh, I'm working on a third book in the YA series that I was uh, writing for my daughter. Uh, Like a lot of people, I've struggled uh, with working on multiple projects during uh, the pandemic. So it's taken a little longer than it should. Um, And I'm uh, writing a new book in the Mystic Bayou series that I keep pretty busy. So you said you're writing it for your daughter. Yes. is this something that she came up with or? It, we we kind of collaborated on it. Um, it again, I, I listened to my audiobooks in the car with her and she was around 13 at the time. And she was like, you know what? It'd be really nice if we could listen to one of your books and you not have to fit, hit the fast forward button like <laughs> a lot when we get to a love scene. So um, yeah, because I don't need, she doesn't need to be like, she doesn't need to know what I know. And I don't want to know what she knows. So um, just for the sake of our relationship, uh, you know, we started working on this idea together and um, she, she tells me when I'm wrong a lot. That's Amazing just, how daughters do that. Yeah. She I, has, she I has no compunctions. <laughs> um, in your opinion, what makes for good writing? It's the writing that won't let you go. Um, there are some books when you read them, it's kind of like when your friends are all having a drink at the restaurant and you're afraid to get up because you don't want to be the first one to leave. And I think really good writing kind of leaves you with that fear of missing out. Like if you put the book aside, you're going to miss something. Um, I think that you know a good writer can do that with character or world building or story. And a really great writer can do that on multiple levels. All right. Interesting. What, what writing rules now? I know you, I know you have to do this. What writing rules do you willing, willingly break? I don't know if I do that. Like, I don't think if I think about it while I'm writing, it just is, you know, that's the way I'm doing things. So I'm not willfully breaking the rules. Um, I think I probably break a lot of them without realizing it, but I think the one rule I absolutely stick to is that you have to have a happy ever after in a romance. Um, I think that that's just a really good way to make people angry if you have a sad ending. (laughs) So um, even if it's not happy ever after, you have to have happy for now. 
And I think that's important to readers. And I personally don't like sad endings. So you're not going to find like a tearjerker generally in one of my stories. So, so with that being, you being so dedicated to the happily ever after, how do you combine bloodthirsty beast with happily ever after? I was going to say like, I don't have bloodthirsty beasts. I'm like, oh, we write about vampires. They're literally bloodthirsty. Uh, bloodthirsty. Um, well, I think the trick is that you have to keep a humane core to your supernatural creatures, no matter what you're writing, because they need to be still relatable to the reader. So yeah, they might be flawed and they're going to have problems. Maybe they can't interact very well with other creatures or people, but they can still work towards a compromise uh, and the happy ever after. So I think you know, kind of keeping them to the point where they're not totally lost from their humanity, I think is really important. And, you know, you weave together equal parts romance with humor. Did you ever get pushback from publishers, agents, anybody like that? Um, Like a lot of comedy writers, sometimes I fall into that trap of going for the joke too often. Um, So every once in a while, I have an editor leave me a margin note that says like, hey, I think you may have only written this scene just to get to this funny line or this funny joke. And it was so good. Yeah, I know. It's like, I, and I will do that. They're totally right. It's it's very much, oh yeah, caught me, you know, moment because I did it. And I know they're right. But over the years, I do that less. Um, so the motivation, I guess, is to find a more compelling reason for the scene <laughs> than just the funny line. So kind of I'm still growing. <laughs> <laughs> what are the, I'm not quite an adult. What are the hardest things for you to write? Uh, I am too nice to my characters. I've been told this multiple times. I don't like to see them hurt. They're my babies. They're my friends. Um, in most stories, there's a moment writers call the dark night of the soul. Um, everything is lost. Your character's allies are gone. Their lover has left. The dog ran away. Their life is now a country song. Um, in romance, there has to be a moment where the reader believes that the, the couple may not get together. and Otherwise, there's no tension. Um, so I have a really hard time doing that to my characters because I love them and I don't want to hurt them. So I have to get over it, basically. <laughs> What are your favorite scenes to write? I love scenes where the whole, because I write group casts of characters, Mm -hmm. like especially during my series, like there's usually a core group of up to 12 people. And I love having them all sit in a room, whether it's over a meal or they're like sitting, talking about the core problem of the story, um, trying to come up with solutions and letting the lines bounce off of each other. Because I really love showing the dynamics between them and showing how much they care about each other and how much they love each other through the dialogue. And still, those are where the best jokes come from too so I think in another life I might have been a television writer (laughs) because I just really enjoy that but you know I I find like I I love or I love writing scenes like that but they also make me sick to my stomach because trying to trying to keep it where so that the reader will know who's speaking at the time yes that is the challenge um and you can't say said every time (laughs) so you have to come up with other said said yeah you gotta come up with other words. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a challenge, but I know you can do it. <laughs> All right, give it. I'll give it the college try. Yes. How do you select the names of your characters? It kind of depends. Um, sometimes I just like how the the sounds fit together. You know, it sounds like the type of person that I'm seeing. You know, Lacey Terwilliger. Lacey Terwilliger. Can't you just hear her name being called I, out at the Baptist Church meeting? I can hear her mother standing <laughs> on the porch saying, "Lacey Terwilliger, get back here." <laughs> Or, I mean, others, I, I particularly with the paranormal romances, yeah. I choose them based on their meanings. Um, I have a, a bunch of baby books, uh, baby name books, and I'll choose them based on that. Okay, cool. Um, tell us about your journey to publication. 
Um, I, I had reached the point in life where I was really unhappy walking into bookstores because there were no books by me on the shelves. And I understand that because at the time I had not written any, that is completely illogical. I was, I was like walking around these bookstores thinking that I had somehow managed to will these books into being (laughs) like, like somehow I'd be surprised and there'd be a Molly Harper book right there. It should be here somewhere. I mean, um, but I just, I was unhappy because I had not gotten a book published and I was near 30 and I was having children. And I just knew that if I did not sit down and force myself to finish a book and get it sold, it was not going to happen. And I had tried to write a few romance novels before and I either didn't finish them or I finished them and didn't love them. And I think part of the problem uh, was that I was writing stories I thought would sell as opposed to stories that I loved. And at the time I loved vampire stories, particularly vampire stories that made me laugh. And I had never tried writing a vampire story before. So I just sat down one night and wrote a 16 page chapter opening for a book about a young lady that is mistaken for a deer by a drunk hunter and shot and turned into a vampire. And uh, (laughs) it was it was a process. Um, a year later, I had finished the book, which now I write multiple books per year. So it's kind of funny to me that it took me that long. <laughs> but um, I finished the book. And then I think three months later, I had an agent and she almost immediately sold the book to Simon Schuster as the first in a three book series. And that was Nice Girls Don't Have Fangs, um, which is not a typical road to publication at all. I was very, very fortunate. Did you pick, choose the titles for your books? Um, <laughs> my my titling skills, quote unquote, are legendary in that I always pick the worst possible titles. And it's like a five or six stage process between my agent and my editor for us to narrow the list. Um, what was there, the worst title you ever chose? Oh, I don't even want to go to that. <laughs> I can't even remember the bad ones um, because they're just so bad. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's just, it's a whittling process. Um, <laughs> but my, my agent and my editors are always just wonderfully great about the whole process. Like they just know it's all part of what I do and eventually we'll get there. This is Molly. This is it is, Molly it is just a Molly thing. You know, I have but, very few quirks. <laughs> so, you know, the whole, I uh, was country before country when country wasn't cool. So were you vampire before vampire was cool? Oh no, 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 no. I was, I hit it at just the right stage. Like so many people came before me and kind of paved the way for me. I was very, very fortunate. It was just dumb luck that I came out just kind of during the the wave. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful. Awesome. Well, um, looking back, what would you do differently? I, I mean, I think if I was, talking to writers just getting started, I would tell them that when you get writer's block, don't panic. Um, I, now that I've been at this a while, I know that there will always come a moment during drafting that I hate everything. I want to give up. I just want to hide under a blanket and eat cookies um, (laughs) because I'll never finish this book. And it's usually around the 24,000 word mark. Um, but I always manage to just finish the dang book. It's just all part of my process that, you know, I will get discouraged and want to quit. And, you know, my whole family was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You quit. You're never going to write again. Yeah. Okay. Just go sit down. (laughs) Just breathe, drink some water. You're probably dehydrated. (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) But when this happens to you, young writers, don't panic. Just take a break. Give yourself permission to take that break, you know, for a day, for two days, whatever you need, but you have to have like a definite time limit. Like I will sit down again in two days after I've had some sleep and some water and you know get back to it because the trick is if you don't get back to it that's that's where you don't finish the book so you have to give yourself permission to take the break but then also remind yourself you have to get back to it author relationships 
can be very important to an author. Tell me how those relationships affect your work. I cannot emphasize this enough. Find your people. I was a kind of a solo act for the first couple of years I was at this because I wasn't going to conferences. I had not, there were not a lot of writers groups in my area. I started attending romance conferences and I found my people, you know, I found other authors who were going through the exact same thing I was going through professionally and personally, because, you know, we, we all work in this same strange, wonderful industry. Um, so they were the people that like, when I had a book to promote, they promoted me when I was having a personal or professional crisis, they were the, the shoulders I cried into and then told me to suck it up and get stuff done. You know, I, I need people in my life who do that. Um, and so, you know, when you have good news, they're the first people you want to call. These are the people you're going to call um, and you need them in your life. So uh, just, I'm lucky that I found those people. And, you know, for the last year I've needed to talk to them about every day. So, you know, when it's safe, go find your people. Find your people. All right. What, uh, let's see, what's the best writing advice you've, you've received? It's so, you know, prosaic, but I've always heard that writers write. And I try to keep that in mind. Like it's really easy to get caught up in the trappings of writing, you know, reading the craft books, buying books about how to sell the book, you know, setting up your author website. And those are all really important things to do. But at the end of the day, what's going to get your first book, second book, third book out is sitting down in the chair and putting words on paper or on the screen, so to speak. When you finish a new manuscript and you type the end, how do you celebrate? This is going to make me sound so boring, but I sleep. (laughs) Like usually when I'm finishing a manuscript, I'm working really weird long hours and I'm not sleeping because I'm stressed out. And so when I hit the send button and submit a manuscript to my editor, I'll go find my family wherever they are in in the house and I'll do the dance as they say, which is usually to all I do is win, which is deeply traumatic for both of my children. Um, But I'll, I'll do the dance and sometimes they'll join me. And then sometimes they'll just scream at me to stop. It depends on what kind of day they're having. And then I'll go to bed at eight 30 at night <laughs> to catch up on all the lost sleep because it, this is, it's a rough process sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Molly, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been every bit as much fun as I thought <laughs> I, was going to have. I could not wait. I, I knew that whoever wrote these books had to be a <laughs> Bonkers, hilarious, completely bonkers. <laughs> no, hilarious. I mean, humor is is undervalued in this world, and it really is. We we need it so badly, especially this year. So, yes. Thank you for giving us all the dose of humor that we need on a regular basis. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. To learn more, go to mollyharper.com. Writers Table podcast music by Pavel Yudin and photography by Casey Meineke. If you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review.